Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Fundamentalists Podcast. My name is Elliot Morgan, and I'm here with Peter Rollins. This is a podcast about the possibility of life before death. What? Is it even possible? <laughs> Who knows? We'll find out. Also, we're adding a little something special to this episode for the first time ever. We're going to be answering a question after we have our discussion from one of our patrons from over at patreon.com slash the fundamentalists. If you would like to join that wonderful cult of people, you can head on over to patreon.com slash the fundamentalists. At any rate, we thank you for having us. We had an exciting episode for you today. We're talking about hangovers, something I have zero experience with. But first... You just stay drunk all the time. I just, yeah. yeah you yep. can't get a hangover if you're always intoxicated. Uh, how are you doing, Pete? Doing good. Doing well. Yeah? I was a bit hungover a few days ago. Hence, That's what inspired the yeah, episode. Yeah, you said, let's do an episode on that. It just I, pops up. I'm just that... It's just that free rolling. Yeah, it's because you do want to think about ideas. Just whatever, whatever's in front of you. Find a word. That was it. <laughs> we have a master list of ideas yeah. that we do not look at. I know. We did sit down and write a yeah. kind of idea, but yeah, we haven't no, gone back to it. Yeah. I think it's like once we write it down, it stops being exciting. Mm-hmm. I like to do it, you know, off the fly. But uh, how was the hangover? Oh, hangover was lovely. I mean, what was lovely is I'm starting to do things a bit now. You know, people feel like people are starting to venture out of their uh hibernation and yeah but uh yeah i ended up drinking and it felt fine and then the next day i'm getting old yeah i used to never get hangovers and then it just uh just hit me so describe if you will for me pete your average hangover yeah or your your most recent one i guess since they're not too common yeah you know it just it didn't feel like no headaches no sickness anything like that but just feel kind of sluggish tired yeah. does feel like I've just put toxins in my body and yeah. my body's like trying to get rid of them. And uh, sleep, you know, dry mouth, not being able to sleep properly, that kind yeah. of thing. And I remember the days when I could drink, not feel bad, you know, in the next day. And uh, those when, days are gone. When was that? That's a, well, it feels like not that long ago, but probably maybe up until my late 30s, probably when I, maybe into my early 40s wow. was when I first started to get hangovers. Good for yeah. you, man. Mm. Uh, gosh, yeah. I was just in Vegas. Oh, so yeah, maybe you hit it harder. Than Might hit it so, harder. Yeah. Uh, There's not a lot to do. And uh, you can only play a game with tiny horses so long and you can only lose so much of your money. Yeah. Before. So, you, yeah, you put three red snakes on for me on the roulette and none of them came up good. I actually did six in a row. Oh, so yeah. did I win a couple? Nope. You won absolutely none of them. Oh, wow. It was Red Snake. It was, it was because, okay, so basically. We better define Red Snake for people. Absolutely. Red it's Snake a is sure, a, By the way, this is a surefire way to beat roulette. Exactly. Yeah. It's a life hack. It works every time. <laughs> uh, it is a pattern that you do on roulette. I don't know if you guys are familiar with roulette, but it's, a, you know, it's basically uh, like a football field. And you put different pieces in different areas, depending on where you think the little ball is going to land, and if you land on an even and you bet on even, you get it. If you bet on a specific number and you get it, you get even more money, and you can do red or black. So red snake is basically a formation around the table that looks like the curvature of a snake. It's a cute little adorable way to gamble. Yeah. And it's supposed to work 100% of the time. So It be- is my retirement plan, so yeah. I was nervous when it wasn't working. I know. Yeah, yeah. you should look into that. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, the... Uh, did you put the... You've got a, you always put the rider on top? Did you do that? I did. I, tr- I should have put the saddle on, but so. I, I said... I did clarify with you that you want true... Like mm. pure red snake. Yeah. I always put the little saddle on the snake. I think it's cute. Yeah. Uh, that tends to help quite a bit. And then my fingers get a little piano play and I just end up doing more. Uh, I didn't win a lot of money if that isn't any indication. But uh, Pete Venman me $45 and you were thinking that was 15 bucks a bet because it's yeah. $1 per thing. And I did the m- minimum, making it 15 cent per square each time. I was like, this is unbelievable. I was like, I can't believe this. This is never, truly, it's never, it's never gone. failed. Yeah, it's yeah. never failed that many times in a row. Uh-huh. And it usually, if you hit it after failing a couple times, you make your money back. So it's fun. You can keep playing over and over and over again. I That was for sure the most, um, the least amount of time I spent at any machine that wasn't a slot machine. Uh, okay. I got to tell you about these new slot machines they got going on, though, dude. Are they fun or not? I have done them once, but only for like... 10 minutes, I never really... Yeah, have you done the 3D ones that they have now? No. You sit down, and it's like they... I thought they were all 3D. Yeah, they are, they are three-dimensional. <laughs> but they, they made it so it's like a hologram now, and it pops out at you. Mm. So, like, Ghostbusters has one, and you'll sit there, and you adjust your chair, and you adjust the 3D level on the little toggle, and then 
certain things will happen and it will pop out at you and you have to use your hand to swipe through the air to get as many whatevers as possible. Wow. It's incredible. Wow. It's the stupidest thing <laughs> and most mesmerizing thing ever. It was wonderful. Is there any skill to it or is it purely Absolutely like, not. Yeah. I think it's truly no slot machine I think has any skill associated with yeah. it besides walking away. That's you know, the, you do you do know there is a strategy for always winning roulette, which is you put a dollar on red. If you lose, you double it. Double, if you lose, you double, double it. Yeah, you yeah. lose, you double it. They have a name for that, don't they? Is that right? Yeah. There's some kind of name. It's like, yeah. The, the fool's bet or yeah, something. <laughs> yeah. It, the, the only thing that's required for it to work is an infinite amount of money. Yeah. But if you have that, then it's a sure. And there's an infinite level, like they'll let you bet yep. with any amount over an infinite period of time. And then you'll never lose. But then you would never lose anything you bet. Yeah, you would break even with your infinite amount of money. You'd just get infinite back. Yes, you wouldn't yeah, be yeah, profitable. Yeah. <laughs> but you'd have a slightly smaller infinite. I don't know how that stuff works. I'm not Maybe a mathematician. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I have tried that strategy before because mm. I was like, oh, just but if you double it, and you'll yeah. eventually win. Yeah, now it, uh, it's funny how eventually you, you lose six times in a row and suddenly you're at like five hundred bucks. Yep, yep. <laughs> and then that hurts. And, and then, then I, yeah, I bet it'll work this time. <laughs> Trust the process. Uh, yeah, it was very fun. Uh, hangovers ensued. Uh, I myself uh, have, with the exception of this lovely cocktail, uh, just stopped. I was like, okay, time to de-pickle myself a little bit, um, yeah. which has been nice. But uh, the hangover thing, man, is is uh, enough to people who just don't drink uh, or don't get into it and uh, way to go. Yeah. They're yeah. really saving themselves a hassle. My least favorite part about a hangover is, well, where do I begin? There is the uh, not being able to sleep at night. Uh, that sucks because I yeah. love sleeping. Yeah, sleeping's good. One of my favorite things to do. And uh, yeah, the headache after. But I experience, and this is kind of, I think, where we'll get into some stuff in this this episode. Um, and I don't typically experience this very much. Deep anxiety. Ah. Emotional yeah. anxiety. Almost yeah. a level of uh, palpable guilt. Feeling bad boy. Bad boy mm. did bad thing. And then I feel <laughs> ashamed. I feel like, Oh, how dare I? How dare I do that? I feel, why would I do this to myself? Future Elliot or past Elliot uh, betrayed uh, future Elliot. Yeah. Do you, feel, does, do you feel anxious about what happened when you were drunk or is it more guilt for some part of your past Usually self? guilt just okay. for drinking. Like it's uh, sometimes it's, you know, you say stupid stuff when you've had too much to drink um, and I'm not immune to that, but it's definitely the, uh, it's, okay. just, it's, a, it's a feeling. It's like a not even a... Uh, oh man, I wish I hadn't done that or said that. It's like a, uh... yeah, yeah. Because that is, I was thinking whenever you said about hangovers, oh, what could I talk about? And the, and I said this to you before we hit play that one of the interesting things is for some people, drinking silences a type of voice that's within them, a type of otherness is within them, and you you feel people feel less social anxiety, they have a good time, but then that comes back really hard the next day. Yeah. And so that it's almost like you take a drug to kind of quieten this voice, this something that's been that's going on in the background. Um, and it works. And then the next day, the return of the repressed, that that comes back more. What is um so we, that term has come up a couple of times. Can you give me a refresher on what the return of the repressed is? Yeah, Cuz if it's returning, how is it still repressed? <laughs> yeah, uh, philosophy. Well, yeah, and technically what Freud means by it is that the return of the repressed actually doesn't happen te temporally. So I'm not, it's, it actually happens in the moment. So the, the repressed always returns as in there's always uh, yeah. of something that takes its place or something that kind of hints at a repression. And because um, otherwise you would never know it was there. If, if something was repressed and there wasn't a return, there wasn't a... Little symptom, hint, little clue, little clue. Then you wouldn't show, but the, but what we repress always uh, shows itself in some in some kind of way. So that's that's the return of the repressed. Wish it didn't. Yeah. <laughs> Wish it would just leave me alone. Um, yeah. The uh, do you when you get hangovers? Do you do what do you do? What's your cure? You know, I did, well, just watching Netflix. That's what I did the other yeah. day. I was kind of yep. like, I'm just not going to do anything all day, which is not unusual anyway. But yep. I yeah. order Subway usually in Netflix. Oh, yeah, Subway. I watched um, <clears throat> this series called Dr. Death. Okay. This is completely unrelated, but uh, Dr. Death is a, 
uh, based on a true story about this doctor in Texas, <clears throat> surgeon, a back surgeon. And uh, he would, uh, out of, I think, 38 cases that he had, uh, patients, he either maimed or killed 36 of them. Wow. Uh, and would, like, do... It, and so th this show has uh, Alec Baldwin in it as, like, one of the doctors trying to take this guy down. Christian's, oh, it's a movie, not a documentary? It's, a, it's both. Oh. It's, they did a, both a documentary and a TV show. I've seen both of them. Ah. Uh, they have both multiple episodes, docu-series and, yeah, TV. Um, all on Peacock, of all things. And <clears throat> it's... I've never even heard of Peacock. What's that? It's like NBC's kind of streaming service, I okay. guess. But the uh, show is super cheesy and very over the top and not that good in terms of shows, in my opinion. Uh, Joshua Jackson from Mighty Ducks and uh, Dawson's Creek plays Dr. Death. Uh, he's this egomaniacal... Crazy you know what? With, with a surname like that, you would wonder. Dr. Death? Yeah, Dr. Death. Yeah. That, that's what he's called. Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, was, yeah. That, I guess that wasn't his real name. No, no, no that's okay, very yeah. funny. That yeah. took me a second. I was too entrenched. I was having flashbacks of the operating room scenes. Uh, yeah, the there's all these scenes in the show where he's in an operating room doing back surgery, and you can the way they shoot it is horrendous like yeah. it's it, it gave me a it freaked me out about you know basically getting surgeries and stuff uh and then we watched the documentary series and it was even worse and this guy's a total psychopath and the whole point is how did this guy who clearly was a, a psycho like total psycho like yeah. like god complex like thought he was the greatest thing in the world um threatened everybody ignored his patients really thought he was doing a good job um yeah, you might want to watch the docu-series, I think. Yeah. So he thought he was doing a good job? Supposedly. Or he was just lying, but he, it was so, like, he would, he would, okay, this gets a little gross or whatever. He would leave uh, sponges in people. Wow. That's just because, the, yeah, that's, there's, a, there's a sketch where it's Mitchell and Wed. There's a doctor that leaves things, but like squeaky things in people so that they have squeaky sounds when they move their arms. That's <laughs> more comedic. It was, <laughs> and it was a sketch of like these, this is becoming endemic within doctors' surgeries. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but this is like, he'd leave, <laughs> yeah. but he would leave, oh shit. So yeah, yeah, yeah. He would do that. And then other times he would go in, do the surgery, uh, pop something out, and he would be like, and I watched the show first, so I didn't know how much of it Did they not keep a, a uh, a list of stats, you know, of how doctors are doing and like that. That's what the whole kind of, they get into. They're kind of like, why is this allowed to, who, like, who can keep doing this? Yeah. You know, but he comes highly recommended. Every hospital he leaves highly recommends him. And then these doctors have to call and be like, are you for real? Like, is this guy lying? Did he do anything that you're not telling us about? And it kind of goes into the medical boards of all these hospitals and kind of the greed and the corruption that happens. And uh, it can get you a little paranoid if you're not careful. Okay. <laughs> uh, but at one point, he's, he just pops this thing out of a, a guy's, you know, body. And he's like, oh, he's, this is cancer. This is a tumor. We can't do this surgery. Put, uh, you know, sew him up. And they sew him up, come to find out, uh-oh, not a tumor. Part of his, part of his throat. Oh. Can you believe that? That's crazy. It's good to see you again, Pete. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. But, but basically, yeah. so many times during that show, he would he walks in and he's like, he's like, I I got a hangover. He's like, I don't know, I got a hangover. I got, I'm gonna do it. Uh, I'm just gonna do it. It's fine. I'm sorry. I'm a little hungover. Whatever. At one point, um, he's dating like a stripper, and she gets pregnant like two months into them dating. Uh, sorry for all the spoilers. We should probably put a little <laughs> bit of a uh, spoilers ahead. Listen, if he's called Doctor Death. I've got a feeling people are going to know yes. where it's going to go. <laughs> yeah, they're not keeping anything a secret. It's a smart, <laughs> smart audience. Yeah. Yeah. Oops, spoilers. He does I, bad things. He does bad things. <laughs> His doctor does a bad thing. Uh, yeah, and but he would come in and say, "Oh," and then the stripper gets pregnant, and he's like walking out the door, and he's like, "Ah, yeah, um, I have surgery, and I'm just really hungover right now." And basically, he's doing all these drugs, he's drinking, and he's thinking at the this whole time that he's going to be both the world's greatest surgeon, and he's also going to do this breakthrough research in stem cells or something like that. It's very fascinating. And is, is, is that based on any kind of reality, or is he lost in a kind of paranoid delusion? It seems like paranoid delusion, yeah. but he tricks Mega everybody. Yeah. He's got like a con man. Uh, uh, it works for a while, apparently. It fools oh. a lot of people. And, worst part? Okay, here comes a real spoiler. <laughs> this is crazy. Dude does surgery on his 
right-hand man, his, his best friend who's been with him for years. Pete, that gentleman is still a quadriplegic. Oh, oof. Not even, like, can't move anything. Has to move around. And this guy now is going to spend the rest of his life in prison. He gets a parole in, like, 2046 or something like that. Wow. At which point he'll be 76. Crazy times, right? Yeah, that's crazy. That's crazy. Maybe it would have been solved if he hadn't been drinking the entire time. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Or maybe if he wasn't a psychopath. Anyway. Yes, yeah. No, that's crazy. And, you know, we've talked about it before, but for people who are psychotic, sometimes they're paranoid and they, they're the... They think they're the greatest thing or they're um, uh, depressed and they think they're the worst. Like you go to those two extremes, they're either the antagonism of their story and they think they're going to cure the world, they're going to save the world, that they're some sort of messiah or that they're some sort of devil, some sort of absolute outsider. But um, he obviously suffered from thinking he was... <laughs> yeah, the other one. The other one, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it's uh, very fascinating. So anyway... Mm. Back to hangovers. Yeah. Here's what I have to say about them, and then we'll move on to maybe a question. Or oh, yeah. Well, I, yeah, I've, got, I've got a couple of things okay. to say. Because I did say, I don't know if I've got much to say, but then once, once we have a drink You can see me trying this, to carry it. I was like, yeah. I don't want to make you uncomfortable. like, I got something to say. Yeah. <laughs> well, so here is something I was thinking about. But it's more so, you know, what is, it's really interesting, but what is a human subject? What is it? What is a, not just the ego, but what is subjectivity? And one of the things in psychoanalysis... What is consciousness? What is consciousness, yes. What's going on there? <laughs> yeah. And who of, has it, who don't? Yeah. And one of the things about uh, psychoanalysis is the idea that um, we are infused with other people's desires and other people's beliefs and ideas. So it's not just that I am transparent to myself and I know what I desire, but um, we also have other people's desires within us from when we're really young. Um, an example of this I was thinking about this morning, I was doing something this morning, and I remember a friend of mine was always missing the train when he came up to visit me when I lived in Connecticut. He would so always, something would go wrong, and he would get the wrong train, misread the timetable, forget his phone so he couldn't call me to tell me he was coming up. And this happened about three times in a row. And the third time it happened, uh, he was like, oh, you think I'm incompetent or whatever. And I suddenly realized, because I know the guy very well, and I'm like, oh, you, well, it's a few levels to this one, is you think you're incompetent, you think you can't do anything, and you haven't been able to kind of integrate that idea, so you're putting that onto me, and you're getting me to think what you think of yourself. So what it told me was, oh, you think you're, you're, you're doing stuff that makes it look like you can't function in society. Just little old me, just all incompetent me. Yes, you know, and, and so he, and that was a part of him that he carried. But then when we talked about it, you could see that that wasn't actually something he even thought about himself. It was what he felt his parents thought about him and his father in particular thought about him. So he was infused with this desire of the other and these emotions of the other that he was holding that were alien to him that he wasn't even aware of that he was putting on me and then it goes even further because actually his father feels very incompetent and insecure and low self-esteem and so it's not that his father was judging him but his father himself felt that he could never live up to something he felt this so what had happened is a desire that was infused within his father got infused within him in a way that he was disavowed. So this, this other was speaking in him and speaking through him, through his actions. And alcohol and drugs, I think for a lot of people, get rid of that desire of the other that's, that's always getting in the way and judging you and making you feel bad. When you drink, you can kind of temporarily stop the voice of that other which is why we do, we drink sometimes. But then the next day, that otherness comes back. And so whenever you talked about this guilt, I'm kind of, my first thought is, oh, that's interesting. I wonder what, you know, what, what other desire, who's, what, what's that connected to with your past? That kind of drinking probably completely gets rid of, but then the next day it comes up in a, in a much more audible way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. So that, that, I mean, I think that's what most drugs do. Is that for any for neurotics anyway? It's an attempt to go. I need to silence this. These other voices and other desires that are kind of always seemingly getting in the way. 
I mean, you don't have that very much. You're, you're, but I think some people who feel socially anxious, they drink, they get rid of that, and then it comes back. Yeah. I mean, first of all, I'm not neurotic. I'm a Pisces. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so how dare you? Um, yeah. But also, please like me. Uh, <laughs> and um, yeah, dude, that uh, I was just, as you were talking, I was like, Oh, it was like the, one of those things where I was like, I hate when this happens. When you give, oh. when you tell a story about some friend, oh yeah, that I you know don't know, and then I'm like, oh yeah, I, I'm kind of like that too, I guess. <laughs> I guess I've had that experience. So, um, for example, a very light <clears throat> version of this was there was a moment on my trip in Vegas where I got very uh, upset with myself. And it's arguably the dumbest thing I could have been upset about. And I was kind of like, I'm a generally a pretty happy-go-lucky guy, I think, most of the time. Uh, like to have a nice time and, and I don't get down too much. But this like knocked me off my rocker a little bit where it was Saturday night. And at this wonderful trip, I had specifically planned for one like fun night of the trip. And it was going to be um, at a Penn and Teller show. Oh, right Okay. Here. You're talking magic, comedy, Vegas, hello. Yep. I mean, that's, that's the holy trinity for me. That's yep. going to be so much fun. So I go to get the tickets. There's no tickets there. And I'm like, well, the tickets aren't loaded. That's weird. And it's like, if your tickets aren't loaded, we'll click right here. And I was like, all right, I'll click right there. And I clicked it. Page didn't load. And then I was like swiping through my emails, and I had missed an email from like a week ago that was like, due to unforeseen circumstances, Penn & Teller has been canceled for this following week. Ah. I was massively disappointed. So had you bought the tickets? Oh, yeah. I bought tickets. Oh, so okay. And it was um, like an hour before the show, uh, all dressed up, ready to go. Can't wait to see Penn & Teller. Been looking forward to it all day. Yada, yada, yada. And... Uh, and then, yeah, as you were talking, I had that thought of like, huh, I don't think I was unconsciously trying to not go to Penn & Teller because I would know that. Uh, I definitely, however, there was a little bit of like that, dang, like I'm just, I'm trying to make plans, but I can't seem to make plans. And then that anxiety of oh, that yeah. sort of like wanting to do things and then not being able to get the ball rolling or something happening that 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 stops it. So it's almost like a swimming upstream kind of feeling. Yeah, there's something yeah. there. It's nice. That's it. Yeah, I mean, that's and it all worked out. By the way, we just went in bed on horses and got dressed up. It was really fun. Oh yeah, yeah. I saw the pictures. These look great. Yeah, we were going to Penn well, and Teller. Penn and Teller were supposed to make me look great. <laughs> they were supposed to enjoy that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no. That this is the weird thing where we almost repay. We replay the myths of our past and our parents' past that we kind of. So what my friend was doing was he he was restaging a play that was within his past and actually not even within his past, but his dad's past. You know, they have a term for this in Jungian psychology. Oh, is that right? Yeah. You want to know what it is? <laughs> Go for it. Yeah, I believe it. Archetypes. Uh-huh. Archetypal patterns specifically. Yes. Go ahead. Okay. Well, yeah, that's different because this is archetypal patterns are universal patterns. Well, yeah. Yeah. This Based would be on yeah. mythic pattern. Myth- well, I'm talking about a very personal myth of the story of the family. No, family. it's an archetype. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah, but yes, either way, yeah, the, the really weird thing is that you the, repeat these things these over repeats, and over. And, and we don't even realize it, and then we get other people to play the parts or even things to play the parts. So it doesn't have to be a person. I was being made into the father figure, but some inanimate object can maybe it's be that as well. Did you tell him that? Um, over, over time, you know. Uh-huh. Waited a little bit. Yeah, yeah. You've made me your father. Mostly I was just pissed off that he was always late for me <laughs> for yeah. the train. So, um, but you know what? The funny thing is, and he would say this, is we did talk a lot about it um, and this structure that he plays out. And as he was able to put it into language and as he was able to see the play play out, he stopped doing things yeah. that were yeah. self-sabotaging. And that, like he would do things that that would make him look... Like, like, oh, like incompetent or whatever. Like, here's a very funny example of something. He phones me up because he says to me, Pete, you need to get some tickets to this comedy show I want to go to. So can you go down to the place and buy the tickets? I'm really sorry I can't get them, but you can buy them. I'll pay you back or whatever. I'm like, what, what do you mean go down to the <laughs> show? The f- get the, yeah, it's like... You can you can buy tickets online. I would be like, what the heck are you talking about? Yeah, but that's exactly it. You it's want like, me to what? Yeah. You want me to leave my home? 
Yeah, he'd be like, leave your home. That's to physically thing. go buy tickets like you're in the 1940s? Well, that's it. He was th- he had literally put himself back to when he was a kid pre the internet. Oh, wow, that's yeah. great. That's and great. was and had forgotten, like literally forgotten that you could buy tickets on the internet. And so it wasn't just a... Is your friend not that bright? <laughs> well, that's the funny thing about when we play these plays out. We do the craziest shit. Yeah, the yeah, craziest yeah. shit that's, you know... So he's bought tickets all the time, I'm sure, online. But it's like, oh, you're putting me in the position of, you know, a father figure to go out and do this. But plus also, oh, I can't do this. I am incompetent. But as soon as I pointed it out, he was like, oh, yeah. But yeah. it was... Um, uh, Beyond, Wilfred Beyond talks about... Um, what's called beta elements. And a beta element is something, an unsymbolizable trauma in your, in your life. Something happens, it's too much. It's maybe pre-symbolic, so you as a child can't put it into words. It's a sense of which there's, a, there's a, just a too muchness and you feel you're falling apart. Should not be able to articulate it in any way? Yeah. And then the role of the parent for beyond is to, is he calls it an alpha function, which is to take that beta element, that unspoken thing, that is kind of distorting your life and start to help you put it into words. And so he uses beta element and alpha function. Um, so what you can say is the role of the parent is to alphabetize the experience, to put it into the alphabet, to put it into words. I love that. And as, as my friend was alphabetizing the experience, the, um, the, the bad symptoms started to disappear. Yeah. Yeah. Became conscious and became yeah, and kind of like and and it's and he kind of saw articulatable as, yeah, and it's still a rock of like that's the trauma. So it's you never get rid of that. That kind of defines him. But but you know how to navigate it, work it. It, it no longer becomes a, a yeah. trauma and a problem. But but I think again, he used to drink a lot. He doesn't drink at all now. But he used to, and a lot of it was to get rid of that overwhelming judgment. This it, this external desire that it internalized within him that this that he would never amount to anything and he had these problems they were internalized and so he drank and drank and drank because it was the only way to temporarily get Mm -hmm. rid of that otherness that was within himself yeah you know there's a i have a um theory that alcohol really does fix everything yeah (laughs) It is, it's just the hangover and the being sober. We have to clean up all the pieces. That is this makes... where we say about our sponsor? Absolutely. The gin sponsor? This episode is I, brought to you by... Incredible. <laughs> I wish. Oh, my god. Alcohol is the solution, and Jameson Whiskey huh. is our sponsor. Jameson Whiskey is the most, <laughs> most alcohol of them all. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that'd be great. Um, boy, to have sponsors, huh? What a time. Oh, wow. We used to... Remember the good old golden days when we had the wine sponsor? We could still get the wine sponsor. I know, that's true. We just stopped. I mean, technically... We, <laughs> we probably, just didn't do it anymore. <laughs> we just stopped mentioning it. <laughs> like, I don't know. Um, no, no, thank you. But those are... Yeah, that wasn't a good deal. But anyway. <laughs> um, there's also a way to relate to hangovers through oh, the yeah. shamanic tradition and the sort of spiritual inclination that people tend to have. And Okay, we'll just finish there. Thank you. Thank that's you so thank much, you everybody. For being don't forget, Jameson Whiskey. Uh, it, yeah, no, the, it's a lovely idea that basically okay, you go through death, rebirth, and the death, rebirth cycle happens all the time. It's ingrained in your brain. And uh, you, you basically, by, you know, getting alcohol in you, you're imbibing yourself with literal and figurative spirits. So you are becoming more than you think you are or more than you actually are in your mind. It makes you into something that is is not human without that sort of anxiety that you're talking about. You feel like you're this wonderful thing. Um, that's the life part. And then the death part comes the next day. And so both parts are equally uh, a part of a drinker's habit. Both parts are uh, necessary. If you drank all the time and you didn't have a hangover, yeah, you potentially wouldn't want to drink. Very good. And that's that. Yeah. And that connects with, there's a guy, um, oh, oh, name skips me for a second, he'll come back to me. He wrote the book called The Accursed Share. And um, he talks about how in a kind of, kind of society like our own. I know you're hearing my Okay, phone. I was like, sorry, yeah. sorry, sorry, sorry. Keep yeah, yeah, no, sorry, that's me. But I don't think anyone can hear it, bar. Us. Yeah, I'm sorry, uh, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry. Um, but he talks about uh, um, how in a society in which productivity and, you know, having to save and use your money and be productive in various ways uh, is king. You have to have times in your life that are pure sacrifice. And this is where festivals and drunkenness and, the, and sacrifice come in. Where, and religions have always been very good at it, actually, where you, 
in you destroy an animal and you don't eat it. You yeah. just destroy it. And then the idea of, of religious, sac- uh, religious festivals or these festivals of exuberance that have no utilitarian value whatsoever. And that actually we need non-utilitarian, non-productive, um, ecstatic... Revelry. Revelry. Yeah. Um, and, you know, at the, the next day, it's, it's you know, you, you feel it. But, but actually, you can't turn everything, which some people want to do, you can't turn everything into productivity. That's actually one of my... The funny things about drugs in L.A. is that a lot of my friends who do drugs, they want to turn it into a productive venture. So it's not just you know, having drugs to kind of like, as, as a non-productive, um, sacrificial event. It has to be to optimize you, to heal you from trauma, to to kind of connect you with spirit. So there's, there, there has to be this productive element. But the shamanistic thing, the little I know of it, it's like there's this beautiful kind of protest against productivity, a utilitarian mm. kind of, uh, kind of everything has to be what life hacked. Yeah, um, don't bum me out. Don't bum me out by making it yeah. some yeah. something it, yeah. that that's gonna do something. <laughs> yes, because then because then it gets uh, it gets woven into the very fabric of conservative society. Just like um, you know, it's funny. It's like prostitution and drug taking are two of the oldest things well, to get illicit enjoyment, and prostitution is often a way in which there's a failure in sexual relationship and the person who's the prostitute, but prostitution actually. Uh, solidifies the relationship. So the person goes off, sleeps with the prostitute, pays for it, comes back to the family. So weirdly, it, it kind of um, can, sometimes can be seen to be something that, that doesn't always prop up the system, but sometimes it's, it's the very gas release valve that allows the, the, the system to work. And so drugs, I guess what's if that? you're like not a neurotic person or have a lack of some sort of, I don't know, are you talking about someone who just has a family and like a wife and kids and then goes off and sees a prostitute? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess if you want to not have any kind of, you know, <clears throat> scruples or anything. <laughs> but I get it. Like you're yeah. saying it's like a, I mean, I kind of get that with like the, um, uh, what are the open relationships, that kind of thing. Oh, yeah. People have those. Yeah. And I guess funny. the same idea, but there's an exchange. And it, I don't know, it just feels like it's, in, in my mind, there's no moral thing on it, but I would feel guilt because I would feel guilt. Yeah. So I guess that means for me, it would be morally, but I would, it would, I would be like, I, uh. yeah. I mean, for me, like polyamory is an attempt to, mm-hmm. a lot of people I know who are polyamorous, it's an attempt to solve what they see as a problem within monogamy. And the problem with mono, within monogamy is a lack of triangulation. So a, a dyad kind of destroys desire, but if you open up the relationship, you can yeah. keep desire going. But the truth is monogamy has always had a, a, a triangular structure, triadic structure. So that's why people have kids generally. But even if you don't have kids, that's why there's somebody, yeah. there's a prostitute or there's there's an affair. or So and, and the, in the most monogamy, there's usually a kind of known unknown. There's like unspoken rules. So I, sometimes I think... It would definitely within Los Angeles, polyamory is trying to solve a problem that they see with the failure of monogamy when monogamy is already a failure that has some solutions. I think monogamy fails because of uh, <clears throat> the fact that we're humans. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but we have, to, we have to unpack that. You just can't say because we're humans. You have to say there's something in the nature of our desire that makes you're right. Penguins get divorced too. Penguins are monogamous and they run away too. So it's not just us. So right. I'm sure that's what you're getting. (laughs) Yeah, I wanted to talk about penguins. Uh Well, it's funny because our very notion of love comes from the French tradition of. I thought you were saying penguins. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. It's funny that you say that. Our very notion of love comes from penguins. Yep. Well, thank you, penguins. <laughs> the study of penguins it was very, very impactful. Mm-hmm. Um, no, it's uh, Amour Courtois, the courtly love of the French uh, scholastic kind of tradition where a, a lord, no, sorry, a knight would fall in love with a lady and the lady would be married to a lord. So the lady was married to a lord, and the knight would fall for the lady, the lady would fall for the knight. But they couldn't be together because of the lord. And so the knight would dedicate his life to the lady and do all sorts of trials and tribulations and protection. And she would, very little would happen between them. Often they would have no sexual union mm-hmm. at all. And all, all- Wink the, of an eye. Wink of an eye, yes, that's the right. grazing of a hand. 
That's it. All the knight needed was 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 a slight glance a that would prevent him from falling into the void. Yeah. It's very very powerful. So this incredibly beautiful literature arose out of that, which is where our love tradition comes from. And then the English tradition tried to see how courtly love could could work within a marriage relationship. I thought you said Courtney Love. First. Yeah, it's a, yeah, Courtney Love. That's where our notion of love comes from. Courtney Love Courtney and love penguins. Yeah. The ultimate penguin. <laughs> yeah, I think you've got the title for the podcast. Yeah. Courtney, Courtney love. love and Penguins. The ultimate penguin. <laughs> it might be our biggest uh, hit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we'll finally hit that the most specific niche market. Yes. Um, <laughs> Which, by the way, just one thing on that. Very quickly, is, yeah. We've probably talked about this before, but that's why, like, Often people who suffer, not suffer even, but have a kind of hysterical structure, they desire what they're jealous of. So if something has to be under threat of being taken away, whereas an obsessive desires what's impossible, what they can't have. So often in some relationships where two neurotic people are together, sometimes the only way they can keep their desire alive is to triangulate up. And, and kids can be a, a way of doing that, you know? You create jealousy and impossibility. That sort of outlet, that like a release valve kind of deal. Yeah. Hence the drinking, hence the revelry, the going crazy, the having a night where you just go, ah! Yes, well, uh, yeah. And although I, and I, it, that at its worst is probably a way to avoid the, f the, the beautiful failure of relationships. Oh yeah, because there's three, there's three basic pains in life. There's internal, an internal suffering where you have a heart attack. External suffering, like someone stabs you, and then the suffering of interrelations, of emotions. emotions. And drinking and drugs are usually, but not always, to do with the third. Yeah. And so I think a lot of drinking, a lot of drugs is to do with the failure of desire within couples and within friendships. It's a failure of desire. Drinking is a way to short circuit that temporarily. That's bad. But the occasional revelry, that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he said he didn't have a lot to say, <laughs> but look at him go, folks. Yeah, uh, yeah dude, I, I I think that's all uh, all very lovely. I had something to say about something you said, and I'm trying to remember what it was, but I got lost in the whole. First of all, it reminded me of Game of Thrones. I'll tell you that. Obviously, oh. it's night. You know. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. What's her name? Um, oh, we yeah we did an episode of some Eloise. Remember we talked about yeah. Abelard and Eloise. That's a type of courtly love where this philosopher and this his students had this kind of like impossible relationship yeah fascinating yeah um yeah and i mean freud and jung were doing that crap all the time yeah uh, yeah they were all over the place uh do you know why cinderella is called cinderella you probably do i don't because uh, she was named that by her parents her name's ella oh yeah she she was uh she had a loving That's adoring you know, she had a loving nice mother who uh died and then the father remarried very quickly to a rather unsavory person who had daughters herself. And they all lived in the um, house, took her bedroom and made Ella live uh, down in the basement where the fireplace was. And her job was to um, take care of the fire. And so the um, one of the gifts that her mother gave her before she passed away was all of her books. And um, her stepmother threw everything out, but Ella was able to manage to hold on to her books. And so she would read them by the... Um, light of the fire and also had to tend the fire, which was a constant task back in the day. You had to constantly get up because you had to constantly, you know, and it was also dirty. So they got soot and ash from the cinders. So they got, they gave her the nickname Cinderella to make fun of her. Oh, yeah. That's, I love that. Story. Isn't that cool? Yeah, that's right. I'm cool. surprised you didn't know that. Yeah. No. I told that to Joe Beretta. I was like, you know why they call her Cinderella? And he's like, yeah, because the cinders. She was by the fireplace. I was like, what the? <laughs> <laughs> well, he's got kids. He's Maybe that. Read yeah. the story. Well, I, I don't think he's reading like Grimm fairy tales. I don't think yeah, he's right, reading yeah, the, that's the OG. Dark, yeah. yeah. Was that a Grimm's fairy tale? Is it? I don't know, I don't but know. I mean, well, I think it was because in the, I mean, I'm assuming it was because that's uh, the original version. Yeah. Um, the only I, thing is, usually Grimm's fairy tales start dark and then end even darker. Yeah, I mean, this, I guess, kind of starts nice, yeah. Mm. And you know, if it starts nice... And then it gets dark. Shit's going to go like, bad real quick. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, that's the one where, you know, one sister cuts off her heel, the other cuts off the side of her foot uh, to fit into the glass slipper. You know about all that? Oh, no, is that the original? Yeah, oh, the animated, they it. just... She goes around, it's like, oh, your foot fits perfectly. But in the original, they literally cut their... But oh, they cut their feet. Ah, yeah, I do. To make their, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To fit into the glass slipper, which was originally in some uh, Russian versions, a, f a fur, uh, fur slipper. 
and another was oh, it was a brass slipper. Anyway, this is about hangovers. Yeah. <laughs> We should do one of I like when we just meander. I'm yeah. sorry. It's fun. I haven't yeah. seen Pete in a little bit. Forgive me. It's yeah. a, we're having a good time. And I, we do need to do uh, an episode of Miss. I would like you to read uh, this Levi Strauss uh, essay on myth, and then we could talk about it because it's very interesting. Yeah. That myths are basically constructed around contradictions and how they're resolved. I'd love it's to. very interesting. Yeah, because, I mean, one of my, the, yeah, I bring it up because one of my classes is on the uh, myths and folklore uh, fairy tales and um, theater and film and all that and sort of the, that kind of um, viewing them psychologically and it was <clears throat> really just a fun class. Like yeah. it was super, super interesting to read so many fairy tales and think every time that I was like, oh, this is going to be kind of boring and so, and I was like, oh, oh, oh. Like it really does something about those little, especially fairy tales, I think, distilling those stories into yeah. something so excuse me, simple, was just like, it was wonderful. I was yeah. like, this is just so, it's constantly entertaining and um, surprising. And, you know, there's always sort of that different versions of uh, morality. Baba Yaga is a really good one. You know, Baba Yaga. I, I think I've just heard that name from John Wick. Really? Is that, is, or is that, is, no, is that the, no, I thought they called her, there's, is it, who is the Baba Yaga or whatever? Baba Yaga is a witch. Okay. I think that's, I think that's what, well, is it a Russian fairy tale? I think it is, yeah. Okay, I, I, th- I think, unless I'm misremembering, because it was years ago when I saw it. Russian or German? Yeah, right, okay, because they said they called John Wick the that. Oh, really? Yeah, I yeah, think yeah. So, yeah. I think, I think so. Oh, that makes total yeah. sense, yeah. yeah. All right, you want to answer some questions, Pete? Mm. All right, let's go. All right, so let's dive in. <clears throat> There's only one. Mm, or is there two? Few. No, or there's a few. Okay. Yeah. No, we're doing pretty well. <clears throat> uh, okay. All right. I'm going to throw one at you that you haven't read yet. Oh, okay. Well. Let me see. Okay, got it. That's a good, good call. I'm just reading. The, I'm sorry. I'm reading the description. All right, here yeah, we this go. Is, this is fine for a podcast. Just dead air. Just take your time. It's fine, yeah. <laughs> you're, not going, you're not going anywhere. Uh, <laughs> I'd love to hear your thoughts on structuralism and post-structuralism, especially since Peter... Mentioned he studied post-structuralism, but would consider himself a structuralist, and why? Wow, well, yeah, but that's a biggie. That's a huge one. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. Because I don't know. Yeah. So, yeah, so structuralism, so I did my, yeah, I did my PhD in post-structuralism. That's kind of pretty much continental philosophy, post-structuralism. Structuralism is Amazing. It's a, it's a way, and it's connected actually to this myth stuff. In fact, that's why I was saying read Levi Strauss, because Levi Strauss is a structuralist, uh, one of the most important structuralists of the 20th century. Um, he, he basically pioneered structural anthropology. And structuralism is basically a way of reading uh, mythology and life and uh, that finding underlying structures. It's, it looks yeah. for underlying structures beneath um, our descriptions of reality. And it finds these, it, it attempts to find universal structures. And so for example, when we're talking about what is the human subject, I'm a structuralist in terms of psychoanalysis. So I'm looking for these underlying structures that, um, that can help us understand what human subjectivity is. And even actually, if you think about it in a very basic way that even when we're on Netflix and we're looking for a movie, there's lots of, there's, there's an infinite variety of movies, but they can be broken down to comedy, action, horror. And, you know, and we, when we start thinking of, well, how in this infinite variety of, of movies can we break them down into these smaller things? That's kind of, it's almost like a, a version of structuralism. Yep. Like going, well, these films have a structure that's similar. And so we call them a horror and these have a structure that's similar. And so structuralism is going down to as, as basic as you can to find these structures. And then post-structuralism, which I'm influenced by, um, is always looking at how these structures are incomplete. Yeah. They, None of them work totally. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and I'm, I'm trying to figure out why they're incomplete, like a, like a science of understanding why, why structures are not totalizing, don't totalize the, the field. And, you know, and I'm kind of, I operate in the middle. Did, did I answer it at all? I don't know. That wow. was a very, yeah. That's up to the person who asked it. Yeah. Um, I think it did. Mm. First of all, I think it's a great description of structuralism. Uh, Post-structuralism being, I mean, it seems like 
you would just do that with structuralism. You would just, as a structuralist yeah. person, you would, if you found holes in it, you yourself would try to figure out why there's holes and make something work. Yeah. So I don't know why it needs a whole new category. And, and structure, like taking a game of chess, a good example. So you've got, you've got the pieces. That's, let's call it the imaginary. You've got the game and you've got the kings and the bishops and the knights and all of that. That's at the level of like the myth, the story. But you can also, if I lose a piece, you can put a coin there. You can put you anything you is. want on the place of the pawn or the bishop, as long as we agree that that's a bishop. So these figures are not necessary. And then you realize, well, what's necessary for the game of chess is a, gra is a grammar, a grammatical structure. That's what the game is. And that's what structuralism is. It goes beneath of all, in, within language, there are, there are uh, relationships of difference and context. And everything gets its meaning from its relationship to other words. There, no word has an ultimate meaning. Every meaning is connected to other words. And then post-structuralism comes along and says, yes, and words, words don't even mean what, the, the, the difference is all the way through. Differences, context is everything. Yeah. And, uh, and so, yes, yeah, so post-structuralism tries to push structuralism uh, further. Cool. Yeah. Oh, that was great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't, yeah, I don't fully understand. Yeah, it, no, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a, yeah. It's heavy stuff. Yeah, heavy stuff. It's hard to, yeah. yeah. All right, this is the final question of the day. Okay, yeah. all right. Now, this is, this is for both of us, okay? Okay, ah. Now, uh, I'm going to ask you, mm -hmm. and if there's dead air, we'll just edit it out, because we might have to think about it for a second. This okay. is from Lauren. Okay. All right, Lauren asks, <clears throat> I'm curious about insecurities. What are yours? How do you cope? Can you overcome them? Could they be useful somehow? Do they only come from external expectations or if you were completely alone, would you still have them? I feel insecure even asking LOL. That's very mm. funny, Lauren. Hmm. You wanna jump in first? I can just, I can just riff for riff. a second about yeah. my humble opinions on it. I think that absolutely. Uh, let me bring that, because there's a few questions in here. Um, what are my insecurities? We won't go into that. <laughs> uh, but um, how I cope with my insecurities? <sighs> I cope with my insecurities. Um, I really try to be nice and just demystify the idea of having insecurities and try to bring the volume down on having insecurities because I think the very idea of an insecurity is based on the assumption that other people have it all figured out. And so you're just kind of comparing yourself. But if you're just like, hey, you're doing your best, hey, you keep it going. You give and yourself you do that with alcohol. Basically, what he said, I turned on not, the insecurities by just drinking to excess. That is not true. <laughs> that happens on Fridays now uh, and maybe Thursdays. You uh, use meditation, actually. Seriously, you do. Every now and then. Oh, I thought you, you for a while you did that. Like every day. Yeah, yeah. 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 I got bored. Yeah. yeah. It gets boring. Uh, I didn't, I wasn't able to ascend to a new plane. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I would say uh, I just try to, you know, uh, how do I cope with them? How do I cope with insecurity? Yeah, I think I just accept that they're there. And I just go, oh, I think this is going on. And then if I pay attention to my behavior, I can see the insecurities going, oh, that's just me being insecure. I have a problem, I think, uh, insecurity-wise, uh, sometimes being um, not angry, but forceful. And so I have a tendency to not get rolled over, but just sort of go with the flow too much. So that's an insecurity of mine. And I deal with it by going in the moment, trying to go, is this a time? And I try to just listen to all my faculties and go, is this a time where I need to actually be standing up for myself? Uh, usually it's, uh, I choose wrong. And <laughs> I, I fly off the handle. Um, and yeah, I think uh, your insecurities are absolutely useful all the time. I think it's great. It's what makes you human. Uh, do they only come from external expectations or if you were completely alone, would you still have them? If I was completely alone, I would absolutely have insecurities. Yeah. Uh, I, I hope they'd never go away. Pete, yeah. what's your answer? Yeah. No, I agree. Or reply. Reply, yeah. And there's something you said there about, one of the things you were saying about how like, um, I think you, you said the phrase something like, no one has it all figured out or something like that. Because I have to think about the word insecurities, but one of the things that's very, that Lacan talks about, and we've talked about this before, is that, that anxieties and insecurities kind of, there's an underlying question behind it. And the question is, what does the other want from me? That we feel insecure because, and we, not consciously, you're not thinking this, but often whenever you see an insecurity hidden behind that 
is a sense in which you don't know what society wants of you or your partner wants of you or your parents wanted of you. It's literally insecurity. Insecurity, yes, that's right. In- yeah, the lack of security. Yes, yeah. the lack of security in the desire of the other. It's like, what does the other desire? Where, where do I fit within the other's desire? And so often you'll find that that's, that's, and that's a very human question is, what does the other want from me? And I think the only way out of it is, is, is the existential realization that the other doesn't know what they want either. Like we, without thinking about it, we think there is this other that kind of has the answer that knows what, what we should do. And we feel insecure because we're, how do I fit into society? I'm at this dinner party. What, what fork and spoon am I supposed to use? How am I supposed to speak? It's like the other has the answer. When, the truth is however you want. That's like, yeah, Whatever but, spoon you want. But that's the trick. Yeah, actually. Who gives a shit? Yeah, because see, if you try too hard to obey the rules, that's the evidence that you don't fit in. Because if you're in that environment, the people who know all the rules will break them. Yeah. Right? So if you're, if you're using everything correctly, that's a tale that you don't fit. But, um, or that you're insecure. Yeah. That you're insecure and you're, you're trying. Because in a way, there is a dividedness within everything. But so secure, I think anxiety in general is connected to to this idea of what does the other want from me? Um, and we can never fully answer that except to realize that the other doesn't know what it wants either. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great answer. There you go. Uh, what okay. are your insecurities? I've got none. <laughs> I, you may not. I don't know if you have many insecurities. No, I, you, know, I, you know what I know about myself is terrible. I'll, a, a rare moment of honesty is I find it very hard to admit any Thing like that's not that I don't have insecurities. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I just kind of like. Wait a minute, your wonder, insecurity is that you can't admit any insecurity. Insecurity, yeah. Just, that makes you really shook up. <laughs> that yeah. you can't admit any. The, my trauma is whenever I have to talk about trauma. Actually, I was I was with some friends a while back, and they came around and they started talking about one of our friends, Daniel, who loves to talk about kind of get people to open up, and he says, "Okay, talk about some sort of traumatic oh, he event." Loves that. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, this is my traumatic event, right? I'm living in it right now. Go home. Yes. You trying to make me talk about trauma is traumatic. Yeah. <laughs> I want to cut that out. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. can't. And he's trying, I mean, I admire you. He's trying to shortcut some kind he of is, therapeutic which process. Which I love. Yeah. But my goodness, you know, is it going to be hard with me? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, no. I want to just chill and have a nice time. Mm-hmm. That's, and I don't care about that. Yeah. Anyway. All right. Well, that was a great answer, Pete. This is a great podcast. Thank you so much for being a part of it. Thank you. This is fun. All right. Thanks well, for listening. Thank you, guys. If you would like to answer or have answered, excuse me, your questions, you can go to patreon.com slash thefundamentalist. If you would like to see videos of the podcast, you can go to youtube.com slash Morgan. You can also subscribe on iTunes, Spotify. If you would like to leave us a review on iTunes, oh, a yeah, nice one, feel free to do that. If you want to leave us a mean one, you can just DM us on any <laughs> of our social media platforms. Yeah. We super appreciate it. And if you have, if you have topics you would like us to discuss either e you know drop us a tweet yep. or do whatever because we're always looking for new things to talk about and there you go whatever that's it bye folks bye bye